Energon Goody cooking contest. <laughs> Remember that scene in 86 movie where Hot Rod and Cup give the Sharticons? It oh, wasn't the Sharticons, it was the Alicons, but they didn't have a name. Yeah. That's okay, whatever. Uh, PM me with recipes. So there might be recipes. <laughs> Nobody's really putting... <laughs> well, I'll look into that. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome. I'm sorry. I, I fucked it right up. Okay. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Autopod Decepticast. This is your minute-by-minute -minute breakdown of the 1986 animated Transformers movie. My name is Aaron, and I'm here with my two very sexy co-hosts. Mm, I'm Ryan. I'm Caleb. And uh, we are here to cover, uh, it's our episode six, covering minute 501 to the beginning of minute six. Um, a couple things right off the top that we haven't talked about at all, I can't believe it, is uh, the, our amazing oh. uh, intro music. Yep. What the and and who made this intro music? Where did this come from? Whoever it was, they were really cool. Because <laughs> they probably were very good at yeah. sex and <laughs> very attractive to women. Yeah, yes. and men. Yes. And all, all all species. Everything. Oh, I love it. So Caleb did this, and I then <laughs> <laughs> yes. I can't forget uh, our friend Trey George, who produced, edited, mixed. What would you say his role? Uh, he was very important in producing it, mixing gotcha. it. Uh, so you, what is your role then? I I, <laughs> I was the musician. I was I was. Did you call the yourself composer. the composer? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I composed You're the it. Uh, the Vince DiCola of this intro. Yeah, I am. I am. And if you, I, I mean, uh, oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's okay. No, cool, you're okay. Let's no, let's no, no, please stop. Stop. Um, no, really. You're popping the peas. No. we we were. This was uh, me and me and Trey put this together. Uh, Trey was a very important part of it because he basically felt out what was needed, and he was cutting and editing and mixing and yeah, made a scratching. Uh, <laughs> there were no scratches, and all I, I just uh, a little uh, backstage, on the backstage, pull back the way. curtain. Just, yeah, pull back the curtain a little. All I did was I gave you guys a piece of inspiration, which was uh, the music from the show, and I'm blanking out on the composer who did so much of the background music. But it's that famous uh, piece of music. It was used a few times throughout the show, but uh, most famously when Jazz and... Or not, sorry, not Jazz. Sound uh, Wave and Blaster Blaster. are battling it off in a nightclub. And there's yeah. a certain set of like really amazing, jazzy, horn-based music that... Is, I mean, it's just funky as hell. <laughs> and that was the main piece. Of, and maybe we can put a link to the YouTube... Um, uh, but it's just, there's actually all the background music to this it, taken out of context of the show is still amazing. The compo the composing and just, it's just I, awesome. I want to think that that, the, the piece of music that you're talking about, I want to think that it was like some kind of stock funky music that and from what we can tell it was recorded in Japan at some point. It's really funky. It's kind of out of place with the, the other music that's going on. 
And so what I think is, is that they probably pulled it from just some stock Japanese studio source. I would like to know more about it because it's, it's solid studio work. Um, but it's hard to find any information on it. And um, and you're right. There are other compilations of the G1 background music, and that particular piece is, from what I under, can understand, is not included on those right compilations. So that adds credibility to what I, you're saying. I want to think that they were probably. I mean, they were animating it, and they they had the scene, and they were like, "We need some funky music," and that one probably they probably looked through some portfolio of stuff that was purchasable for the track and they saw that one and they, they were like no. so we'll on YouTube you can find it it's called Generic Rock Disco Theme Transformers G1 if you have any information about this track Generic Rock the source we would love to hear it and talk about it even though it's technically this is the good part not related that's the inspiration it's for our theme stuff. song the drummer and then is it goes on. phenomenal so we're we're kicking off the minute with a, kind of a whiny exchange between <laughs> Optimus Prime and and Ironhide, and we're going to end the minute with a countdown, a perfect countdown, ending on the minute by our friend Cliff Jumper. And uh, you know, we mentioned it a little earlier. I said in the last episode that Prime is kind of a dick in this moment, but really Ironhide's kind of a whiny. Prime's got to be Asshole. a leader here. I feel like it, he's been on Prime's ass about this for a long time, and this we're just seeing the last straw. <laughs> This is as close to Prime being a complete asshole as possible. He's so, just like, I've got to send this guy away. Ironhide is like an elder statesman, though, of the uh, Transformers universe, right? I wouldn't so, say elder statesman. That implies like a... I think he's just a, a veteran, you know? Right, but you'd think that Prime would have got rid of him uh, mil God. millions of years ago well, if he... Uh, I, I, like, I think of Ironhide is kind of like... Not necessarily second in command, but up in there, up there in the power structure. He's right. Like, he's so, like one of those employees that have been around a long time, and you, you know, they talk shit. You talk <laughs> shit. It's kind of understood that that's just how, the, how that's the way things go. So it maybe perhaps Ironhide knows where Prime's bodies are buried. Why do you assume they don't want to work together just from this one exchange? <laughs> well, you just, well, you're the one who said that. I'm I playing just on your comment. I, I, I just think Ironhide has like has some has some has some shit on Optimus Prime. He knows perhaps. where the prostitutes are buried. Yeah, exactly. I'm the, sorry, sex workers. The robo sex workers. Now I want to see that. Fan fiction. <laughs> well, it's now is not the time to ask whether Transformers have intercourse or not. When is the time? <laughs> so, okay. Uh, I want to ask again, and, and I think that we're going to need some audience help on this. Who is sitting next to um, Ironhide in this chair at minute... So it is uh, five minutes and seven seconds. Yeah, it's, it's a wide pan of the of the control room where uh, Ironhide's getting ready to go up, uh, get up and. But yeah, I know what you're saying. Like, so it's yeah, the person who's sitting to the right of Ironhide, and who did you say you thought it was Windcharger? I'm saying Windcharger. Other potential candidates are Brawn. Yeah, I was thinking Brawn at first, just wrong color. But yeah, Brawn's yellow. Okay, uh, they've right. been known Listener. as color people before. True. I don't remember if the script gave us any indications, but. Um, all right, so Optimus Prime uh, gives an order to the whiny Ironhide. <laughs> uh, we mentioned in the last episode that it was actually Ironhide's idea in the in an early draft of the script to go to Earth. In this one, he just is straight up told, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> um, and then Prime asks for a security update. From our friend Jazz. This is uh, uh, the well, first appearance one thing of Jazz. On the oh, other go movie. ahead. One thing here, like this, 
go, go till he dra- turns into a, a vehicle minivan. Mode. Okay, he's running. Yeah. Uh, okay, yeah. This is funny because the first transformation in the movie is off camera. <laughs> so between the seconds of say we'll say five fifteen to five eighteen, you yeah. see Ironhide running and then he transforms behind a wall. <laughs> Yeah, that was, a, that was a conscious decision. Why would they do that? I don't know, man. They're burying the lead. <laughs> this also brings up a larger point. Why are they Transformers in the first place? Ooh, that's a deep... Um, do we want to go there right now? I mean, okay. And in the... Like, this makes sense for, on Earth. Like, why couldn't they just get in a car, a ro- their, yes. ver- their version of a car, and go where they need to and go? And I understand war machines, like the Seekers and, you know, tanks and things like that, but just a truck? Like, well, put, putting that question out there and us fun- not being able to answer it fundamentally is I, probably going to cause us to lose credibility. No, I, 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 I mean, I have, a good, answer. I have a good answer okay, for it. For okay, it. Imagine having a big movie called Transformers, <laughs> where none of the lead characters well, listen. that have been transforming... Are not transforming. I pro- I didn't want to look up that the reason be, why. That would be terrible. Because I wanted to speculate about it, but I will look it up after this episode just to see the theories that are out there. Um, but on Earth, it makes total sense because they're robots in disguise, but right. they're not robots in disguise on Cybertron because nobody's being fooled. Right. Maybe they're just creatures of habit. They're like, yeah, you know, I'm used to turning into a know. minivan and I want to be a minivan. What if in, on trans- Cybertron they never turned into their robot modes? They were only in their vehicle no. modes, doing their stuff I, and I, watching I, monitors while, well, in while their, a plane. They're I in swear their Earth on modes. Cybertron. On Cybertron, I swear on Cybertron they they were transforming into more advanced like they were different. Yeah, they were different. Like Bumblebee was like a hovercraft, and the Seekers were like triangular planes. Those were their Cybertronian uh, modes. And then when they yeah. go to Earth, uh, Teletran One. Uh, when he's rebuilding them, gives them Earth yeah. forms. And so, so they're still in their Earth forms they're still on, in, their in this movie. Well, and they, they need to be recognizable for the audience. Right. I'm sorry I really derailed this, but I just really genuinely no, don't understand. Question. I mean, obviously in, in, in real life, they wouldn't be turning into a minivan on the Cybertronian moon, but you, for the sake of continuity in the movie, it needs to happen that way. I gotta bring my family back. Oh. Is that your Iron Man? <laughs> Sorry. The, yeah, you're right. Why wouldn't they take on their old form? Uh, you mean their, their, their previous their, their, form? Their form that was, de- original. Uh, I would assume, designed for them to best oh operate on this planet. We shouldn't dig into this too deep. <laughs> Why do they need windows? Why do they need to carry anybody? <laughs> Why do they need to be designed to carry anybody? The uh, Also, just as a, uh, a little point of trivia here, the... Um, the Seekers, the Skywarp Thundercracker, and uh, and uh, Skywarp Thundercracker, and Starscream, their Cybertronian modes are known as Tetrajets. Oh. I don't know if that's an official terminology or fan community stuff, but uh, a couple things about this: there, no sign of deception. Well, first, I'm sorry. Let me back up. Let's talk about Scatman Carruthers. Yes, uh, R.I.P. He's done lots of cartoon roles. He was George Metalark Lemon in the Scooby Doo franchise. Oh. He was. I've never watched Hong Kong Fu. I believe mm. that's a. Uh, is that it's a, a Hanna Barbera? Hanna Barbera. Um, Hong Kong Fu. Somebody called a Scat Cat in the movie The Aristocrats. Mm-hmm. Like Aristocats. That is. Sorry, that's two totally different things. Don't the Aristocrats. Them. Don't don't confuse that for your children. <laughs> um, he has a definitely fairly... Google the Aristocrats <laughs> joke at he, work. He's he's in The Shining. Of course. Yeah, of course. Yep. That's the it's most famous role. Yeah. The Shining, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest as well. Yeah. You guys remember yep. that. Um, so Transformers the movie, according to the, the research I did, was his last bit of movie work. He mm-hmm. died in 1986 from pneumonia, complications of uh, lung and esophageal now, cancer. He was a how, how, heavy, heavy smoker for most of his life. 
Mm. So now, are we sure that he and Orson Welles were not a murder suicide? Yeah, so I'm getting ready to ask. Like, how's like? All right, he died on November 22nd. Scatman Crothers died on November 22nd. When did Orson Welles die? And I'm looking at a. I think it was in the summer, if I'm not mistaken. But well, Or- Orson Welles died. What did it say? Two. What, what did he say? Two weeks after filming. Yeah, it was very like short after. Or Orson recording, I should say. Here uh, on October 10th, oh. 1985. All right. So, okay. so Scatman. Not a murder suicide. We've solved it. It was not a murder suicide. Year later, but yeah. I, I should say, Scatman Crothers' character on The Shining, um, I feel sorry for the guy because he spends the whole movie making his way back to the hotel to try to save them. That is... he, he, he goes to a lot of trouble to get up there. It's a slow build. He walks in the front door. First thing that happens. Immediately. Axe to the chest. <laughs> Dead. Dead. And that's annoying because like the book, that is one of the... I like both the movie and the book for different reasons, but that makes no sense in the movie. It's a pointless action he's doing. Like there's no reason to have him do that and then that to happen. He, he... In the book, spoilers for a 30-year-old book, but uh, he li- lives. Like he's the hero of the book. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird. Like you, they, I think they keep him in the movie because he is aware of the boy's abilities, psychic abilities. They should have just dumped him after... He leaves. Like, there's no reason to have him in the movie after that. Uh, I'm trying to remember. It's been a while since I've seen the movie and I've never read the book. All I remember is him getting the phone call and this, uh, uh, like, velvet painting of a foxy mama. Of a foxy lady who I believe is naked is uh, hanging out. Those kinds of paintings are a total relic, by the way, of the late 70s, early mid 80s. She has a big afro. Velvet paintings with, like, naked lady velvet paintings. You got me one of those. Do you still have it? I have it. It's just a woman standing topless, painted on beautifully on black velvet, and it is in my basement. And so he leaves his bedroom with that awesome thing. With that awesome Gets in a snow cat. Drives up to this thing, walks in the front door, bam, dead. Within like like thirty seconds of walking in the front door, yeah, of this place. it's immediate. It's the first thing. That he happens. doesn't like that's it. And I'm like, it's such a bummer. I don't know. I don't understand that choice. But I love the movie. That's one thing that really bothers me when I watch the movie. So um, back to Transformers. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's fine. No, this is great. Scatman Carruthers. Scatman Carruthers. R.I.P. Uh, Pour out some liquor. Uh, so he wants security status from Jazz. And and Jazz is like everything's cool around here, and then he says, "Well, hey, what about Moonbase Two? And then Jazz says, "Hey, Moonbase Two, how you doing? Why did he? Why did Jazz have to be the go-between for that situation? Is Jazz the security guy on Moonbase One, and then he's just got to check in on Moonbase Two? I think they would have their own security guy." Maybe I'm getting too well, wrapped think, up in the logistics. Yeah. I think Bumble- Jazz is a middleman in this situation no, that you don't he's need. The main security guy, because Moonbase One is their major operation, so he's the main security guy. And then Jazz, not Jazz, uh, Bumblebee and Spike are the like uh, only people on Moonbase Two. Apparently, not the only people, but the junior security <laughs> officers from that push. Like it's an outpost, basically. This is proof that the downfall of the Autobots is their bureauc- their bureaucratic system. It's too convoluted. You've got, you've got, a, you've got the, the Decepticons have a strict. Uh, autocracy. Mm-hmm. Meg- if Megatron wants answers, he's going to go directly to the source. <laughs> right. Meanwhile, Optimus is like going through all these chains, chains of command, inefficient. Meanwhile, Laserbeak is watching the whole thing. So, so it was maybe edited out of the movie, but it was like Jazz to Moon Base Two, Jazz to Moon Base Two. So you got some other guy. We'll say Hound, and he's like, 
I don't know. Let me check with my people. And then they go to another guy. And finally, we get to to, to Bumblebee and Spike. And then eventually we find out the papers saying that they were determined to attack the towers were sitting on the desk all the whole time. The conspiracy is real. Inside job. (laughs) Follow the money. How many 9-11 references (laughs) can we make throughout this podcast? I'd say we're five for five. I think it's it's only three, maybe. Okay. (laughs) I don't know. You're doing the editing, so... Um, okay, so one other thing I wanted to point out about this is we see Adult Spike. Yes. For, this is the introduction of Adult Spike as a character. He says, Ironhead, tell my son Daniel that I've got a message. So we, we see Adult Spike. It is revealed to us that he has procreated and has a son. So his seed is good. On Earth. And um, I have a couple notes here about uh, the voice actor who uh, portrayed Spike. Uh, name of Corey Burton, and actually he has done a lot of work in the Transformers post this G1 universe. Uh, he did a lot of work. So um, uh, in this in this world, G1, he voiced Alpha Trion, Brawn, Shockwave, Sunstreaker, and Vector Sigma, which I don't recall having a voice or actually being mm. a, a character per se. I always thought of it as a thing, but I would need to rewatch everything to confirm that. But um, then there was the series Transformers Animated, which I've never seen and want to see because I've always loved the animation style and it feels like Is this the, the new, most the old. New one? It's not new. It's, uh, gosh, it's probably from 10 years ago. Okay. Um, but it was more cartoony style, but it was very homage of G1 and homage. Is that a word? Yeah. I get it. Uh, and in that show, he did Ironhide, Ratchet, Megatron, Shockwave, and Spike. He's done lots of other roles for Disney, Rocky and Bullwinkle, Star Wars, Clone Wars, so uh, Batman animated Superman series, um, so and video games as well. So this guy has he's prolific. Uh, he's been, been a pretty yeah pretty solid voice actor for a while. It's um and this part where we do, are introduced to Adult Spike is a is a bummer, man, because knowing what happens, like Ironhide's like. Will do, Spike. I'll definitely tell you something. Whoa, that was like a mix-up of Scatman Crothers and Ironhide. <laughs> I'll definitely tell Daniel that everything's cool, and then he's fucking, that's not what happens. Um, but this is, I asked you this, and you told me the answer, but I'm pretending like I, uh, I didn't know. Um, I never really, reala- I didn't think about this until watching it, but who Daniel's mother is and why we never see her. Um, who is his mother? Uh, Carly. Yeah, the only she's the only girl he, Spike's really with in the show, I guess. I don't. I mean, we he, assume it's Carly. They're married later on in the series, right. and they were boyfriend girlfriend in the pre movie. What first if he two stole seasons. a boy? <laughs> Maybe they kidnapped. That's <laughs> oh, that's Adam Walsh's son. Oh my god! <laughs> Luckily, uh, most people won't get that <laughs> reference. They'll start googling it right now, though. <laughs> um. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, I don't know where to go from. That's that. the thing we never see. There's no, there are no like. There's well, no mention of her, certainly in no, this movie. There are no. Fe- I mean, RC is the only female character of any kind in this movie. It, like, I don't think this movie really does. Interestingly enough, and maybe just because, I don't know, it doesn't really support any notions of gender roles, does it? I mean, I guess I'm RC glad. is nurturing, and maybe this isn't the time she, for this conversation. She, like, I guess, in it, I don't know how much of it is in this movie. I can't remember specifically because I haven't watched it to the end in a while, just kind of uh, to keep it fresh. But um, in the cartoon, she is definitely, her and she and Daniel are tight. Like, right. she takes care of him. Right. But he has, a, a, like, a human mother as well, who I would assume. We would hope he has a human uh, mother. Well, I mean, you see her. She exists. Yeah. Um, 
to pin a cap on Jazz, he does not die in this movie. And um, in the parts, the television series... <laughs> what if he, what if like, he gets an axe to the chest too? <laughs> <laughs> he walks in, what's going on here? Oh! <laughs> But, but the twist, Optimus Prime is the one that kills him because he has the Energon Axe hand. And, but he's yes. infected with the rage virus. <laughs> yeah, perhaps. But uh, So he doesn't die in this movie, however, and he only makes, as far as I uh, can recollect, an appearance in the post-movie cartoon once, and it's in that Five Faces of Darkness five-part opener that takes place directly after the movie. And he appears as just a totally like random character with a different name. I should have that name because it would make sense to have it in dialogue <laughs> right now. And he is at the kind of close to the beginning. There's like a race, and he wins a race, and oh, uh, and then transforms, accepts his award, and bows out. And it's Jazz, but they don't refer to him as Jazz. That's weird. They call him something else. Mm. I can't remember his name. It's something really like alieny, like Z Pop Zerpic. Oh. And I don't know why they did that, and they never refer to it. Like nobody ever says that looks like jazz, because I mean Rodimus Prime like, is there. The he's like, like watching the whole he, thing. Why did he call jazz? Is he Bob Burke? He's, he's he okay? jazz is he's undercover. He's, yeah, he's uh, he is in the witness protection program. So Prime, then we have our moment with Jazz. Prime commands Cliff Jumper to commence countdown again. With- another delegation. <laughs> <laughs> like I can't, Cliff Jumper, you've been training for this. For years. Is that Optimus? I don't even know what... You've been training for years. <laughs> it's my He's Rocky, got a cigar. It's my Mick voice. You're not... Got... <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> You're the only one who can do the countdown, Cliff Dropper. <laughs> and so he does. And, the, and count- also... the countdown starts at five. I don't know. Which makes none of the sense. Five, four, three, two, one. Like they have the hop tune also. They're like, oh, shit. Like, yeah. Also, <laughs> we were quite ready. Cliff Jumper's from Brooklyn. God, you can see the inefficiencies and poor leadership here already. I mean, five, four, three, two, one. <laughs> so Casey Kasem is the voice of Cliff Jumper. He also voiced Blue Streak. Uh, you guys remember the character Dr. Arkville? Is it Arkville? Arkville? Is that the guy the who crazy... worked with Megatron? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, he was also the voice of Teletran 1. Uh, of course, most people know him as the voice of American Top 40 from the years 1970 to 2009. But And also other roles, Shaggy, um, Robin from Super Friends, and Mary from the old animated version of Lord of the Rings. So, obviously, great, great voice, iconic voice. Uh, do you guys know the story of how he uh, went ways from the Transformers oh, no. series? I, I do. You don't have to tell anybody on the show. <laughs> Let's just move on. <laughs> no, why don't you tell us the story? <laughs> I don't think they want to hear it. <laughs> All right, thanks for listening, guys. He's doing a bit about you saying you knew the answer to his how old he was. No, please, please continue with your story. If you know, I was going to give somebody the opportunity to talk about it. Are you saying Are you, I can't I tell? Can't tell, I can't tell if you're saying no because you know it and it feels too controversial. No, no, no. It's, it's, it was like you were asking us a story, and what if we would have both said, "Yeah, <laughs> okay, 
God, I couldn't tell so, what who's so that shot back, was over. It's a bit of back and forth humor. <laughs> okay. Oh man, we're in the nature of our was... platform. Okay, that was Woo. funny. Oh gosh, Do, does anybody know? I don't. I do not. I have a clue. Okay, well, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Enlighten us. Um, so uh, there is an episode in the third season, which is post movie, uh, called "Thief in the Night." And he left because Casey Kasem, uh, his uh, um, ethnic heritage or his country of origin is uh, Libya. And uh, Casey Kasem was Libyan, yes, or, but, or American Libyan, perhaps. Not uh, I don't know if he was. I don't know if he was born. Yeah, I would assume that he was born in the United States. But hey. This is Casey Kasem breaking into this broadcast to say I'm Lebanese American, not Libyan. You stupid sons of bitches. Here's a popular request that's shooting up the charts. How about you three assholes straight up go fuck yourselves? Well, it's back to the shadow realm for me, so keep your feet on the ground, and I hope you guys die real soon. But uh, at any rate, so there was an episode, I don't know if you guys remember it, Thief of the Night, but there was a very stereotypical um, sort of Middle Eastern dictator as sort of uh, the bad guy of the episode, oh. and to um, uh, to add even more uh, fuel to the fire of controversy with that, the the country that this dictator was in charge of was called Carbamia. Oh my god! <laughs> Who you know somebody was high fiving over that fucking yeah man. So. So that that made Casey <laughs> irritated, annoyed good, at the good least. For, good for him. And oh I mean, God. and he and he walked out of the uh, series. He actually there was there it was quoted as saying that he was didn't mind um, people of Arab descent being portrayed as villains per se, but uh, when the villains are the only Arab characters or the only Arab characters in the story are villains, he had a problem with that, and yeah. and there was no positive counter examples that were offered, and so uh, so he walked away. But I mean, the Carbamia is enough, really. Yeah. <laughs> like uh, uh, he's like, uh, guys, I was reading the script, and uh, that's actually not bad. Says Carbamia. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh... It's a, it's a clever play on words. Thousands and thousands of years of uh, culture, and uh, this uh, is what we're summarized to? Well, you're dropping right off the charts in my book. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of dropping off the charts, he passed away in 2000. <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing too hard at my own joke. <laughs> I mean, it's solid. <laughs> passed away from... Uh, excuse me. Okay, so uh, R.I.P. R.I.P. Casey Kasem. R.I.P. Casey Kasem. Uh, he passed away in 2013 from complications of Lewy body dementia. Okay, uh, Ryan, do you have any other notes? I am fresh out. <laughs> and uh, Caleb has no notes. I have no notes. And I have to leave. It's four like three. Okay, he's got to go. Caleb's got to go. Uh, I do have one. I have one uh, script deviation. Um, in that. Uh, which I'm trying to think, it's like the last shot. Or okay, so Cliff Jumper's counting down. Uh, you see the bureaucracy, and basically the here. scene it's like, ends. It's like a, and it's like a, it's like a Skype chat. <laughs> <laughs> They're all like chatting it up, checking with the other moon base. They're all... Okay, so, so beep, beep, boop, boop. They're planning on Thumbs sending the up. ship. Thumbs, yeah. And here we go, doing the countdown. Oh, yeah. So in the last four seconds, we're seeing a pan of the ship itself that the Autobots going to Earth are 
in, and the major script deviation is that, um, in an, or at least in the early version of a script, Ironhide drives to a mountain and mm. gets inside of a mountain. And what's eventually meant to have been unveiled is that the mountain is the ship, or it's a hidden ship inside the mountain, where clearly that's just a ship out on a <laughs> runway is what we got. But originally it was a mountain disguised as a ship. So there's all kinds of like goofy camouflage things yeah, that early versions of, of the script Espionage were going, going for that they just were like, uh, fuck it. Let's, let's just, simplify this. I mean, in reality, of course, Decepticons could have come and just bombed out all of their Blown ships. They're just up. laying out on the on the so, runway. This is not so secret. Right, but uh, that's not what happened. And so... Uh, Don't wonder the Decepticons are in charge of Cybertron. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, they 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 know how to. They, I mean, they've just basically got a. Good They're like the Nazis. System. They're very organized. Very organized. Yes, just like the Nazis who we are dislike. against. Yeah, <laughs> dislike. All right, uh, I think that's it, guys. You I, don't we, have anything else. We did it. You I just want to say that for the record, we do not like Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. That is great clarification. Yeah. So, all right. So this has been your episode six. Please like comment, subscribe on all of our various social media networks and platforms that you can access via our webpage at autopoddecepticast.com. Thank you very much. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.